personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talks Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information the businesses need to know now. I have a special guest on the show uh, from Europe. Her name is Emma Martins. She is the Data Protection Commissioner at the Data Protection Authority at Bailiwick of Guernsey. Hello, Emma. Hi, Debbie. Great to be here. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome to have you on the show. Uh, you and I had the pleasure of doing a panel together uh, for an organization in, in uh, the UK, I believe, uh, a few months ago. And we had such a great time. And I think we're trying to corral that group again to try to do some other things with Jasmine Hines. Um, and so... I thought it'd be a great idea to talk with you, uh, you know, as a as a, a regulator or data protection commissioner to to get your thoughts on privacy and sort of what's going on in the world now and what you're most concerned about. But why don't you start by telling people, you know, about sort of you, your journey, and then also yeah, a lot of people may not know where Guernsey is in Europe. Yeah, it's um, it's a very small island, small but perfectly formed. So we're between a small group of islands between France and the UK. I mean, I can pretty much see France from here. So it's it's a it's a great location. We're not part of Europe. We're not part of the UK. We're a crown dependency. So we have our own legal framework and our own laws. So for me, I've been in data protection an awful long time. Um, I sort of fell into it really. I think lots of people. Uh, those of us of my age uh, fell into it uh, in a way that you're seeing people that make active career choices now, which is really exciting, I think. But many, many years ago, data protection was sort of an add-on to a job I had working in the public sector. And it just struck me that this was a huge piece of work, but it wasn't really given much attention. I think we've moved on from then, I think, but we've also got a lot of work to do. So my, I started off being a DPO, And I think that helps me enormously because I think there's a danger that regulators sit in ivory towers and preach and point fingers and wave big sticks. Um, But the reality on the ground is very different. And the pressures that organisations face, both in the public sector and the private sector, are real Um, with resource constraints, with skills shortages. These are these are very real problems. And I think if you're alive to those uh, from a, as a regulatory uh, office, then I think we can engage a little bit better. So my journey was starting out the other side of the fence, if you like, as a data protection officer. And then many years ago, I got op- offered the opportunity to work with the regulator, uh, worked my way up. Uh, and I've been in this job a number of years now. And as I say, it's a very small office, um, but I, I'm a firm believer that success isn't always defined by how large the radius of your influence is or your action is but but rather whether you your own circle is fulfilled and I think that we work very hard here as an independent legal jurisdiction to put in a strong regulatory framework around the protection of, of people's data 
um, with an eye to, we may touch on it later, but we're very keen to ensure continued adequacy for this jurisdiction. So the free flow of data is important for the economy. But first and foremost, this is a law about you and about me. It's about people. Uh, and that's at the forefront of all our conversations. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you, you have like a front row seat in what's happening you know, in, in Europe and, you know, you're seeing things that are happening around the world. Um, what are, tell me the, the, the thing right now that maybe concerns you the most, like what is maybe top of mind for you right now? It's a really good question. I think I probably have to look back a little bit to, to answer that. But those of us that have been working in this field for some time have seen the storm clouds gathering around the exploitation of personal data and the actual impact that that can have. And I think it's been, they've been quite hard conversations in the past because it's often quite an opaque subject. Talk about data. People just think of computers and servers and something which is remote from them. Uh, or something that's unfathomable, you know, it's just purely about technology and therefore they can't engage with it. But I think there is, something's happened lately. So it's a concern, but it's also, I think, an opportunity that we need to grasp that the conversation is shifting, the narrative is changing. You're starting to see the way that the big tech companies use and misuse our personal data challenged. And it's also being explored one of the things i think is so fantastic that's happened recently is you're seeing this leap from it being uh, a question of law a question of technology to it being a question about our social lives our values our, our culture um, and you can see it if you go onto um, any movie streaming platform you can see films like the social dilemma uh, coded bias uh, the great hack so that they may that may not seem an important point in and of itself but if you think about that for those of us again that have been in this field for a while if you'd said to me five ten years ago they're going to make movies in america about this issue i would have laughed but the reality is that is what's happening and i think the reason that's happening is that we're starting to understand the actual impact on us of the way in which our data are being handled. And that's not to say that as a regulator, we think that everything is bad. That sometimes we're pitted against innovation and against progress. That is, that couldn't be further from the truth, but it's about grounding those innovations in human values and, and in values that respect each and every one of us and give us the dignity and autonomy and respect, as opposed to being based on an exploitation of us, treating us as, as nothing more than a commodity to be profited from. So long-winded way of answering probably, but it's a huge, huge concern. This is what's called surveillance capitalism. There's some fantastic books on this. But I do think that we're starting to see a chink of hope in that we're seeing movies made about it, fantastic uh, authors writing books about it. And that then leaps in across to mainstream. It's all very well those of us working in privacy and data protection, we get together, we have some fantastic conversations, we have conferences, but outside of that lovely bubble, what is happening? And what's happening lately is it's starting to mainstream into society in a way that I think will influence and persuade uh, other organisations. Big tech is more complicated, but I think this, this persuasion model is really, really important that consumers and, and citizens become aware and put pressure on 
big tech and all companies that have data to do the right thing. And so I think we're at the beginning of that. I'd like to think we're at the beginning of that process and it will continue uh, its momentum. I think so too. I think um, the GDPR was very good in terms of bringing more eyeballs onto privacy. So before the GDPR came out, people weren't, you know, there were kind of a group of people like us that cared about that, but there are very, very few of us, and we weren't as visible. (laughs) So because uh, the GDPR made privacy more of a C-suite issue and something about the way businesses needed to change the way that they operated, and, you know, people were slow to take that up, really, and they didn't really understand what that meant. But over the years, we're seeing more companies understand, you know, what that issue is. And I'm I'm happy to see, you know, regulators working with organizations around privacy. So a lot of the, the talk in, in the U.S. and, you know, from a U.S. perspective, like, for example, when the GDPR came out, um, you know, May 25th, uh, 2016, you know, I thought I was going to wake up and everyone's going to like, ah, people are going to care about privacy today. And like, no one said anything. And I was totally, I was like, oh my God, like no one said anything. So I knew that that time was really important to educate people that this was coming, you know, in terms of the enforcement date. And eventually, you know, about two years later, you know, people started to really, you know, put it in the news and stuff like that. And I thought that was, you know, very important. But I think the way that people in the U.S. thought about GDPR when it went into full enforcement was that, you know, like on the first day of enforcement, there would be all these cases where regulators would be doing these fines. And it didn't happen that way. You know, we're starting to see, uh, you know, more fines and stuff happening now, but I think people here were thinking, you know, may- maybe they thought it sort of took some of the steam out of GDPR. I don't think so, because as you know, a lot of these cases take many years uh, to go through and, you know, regulators are busy people. Uh, you all have a lot of work to do, but, you know, what what are your thoughts about that sort of uh uh, transition into having privacy be more, you know, more visible, I guess. Well, it's, su- it's such a good point. I mean, and I think that we are moving from it being a- an IT or technology issue. Not that long ago, data protection was just somebody down the corridor, you know, that they would, they would be responsible for data protection it's now recognized as, a, as an entire business performance issue because it's so wrapped up in trust. And you, know, you see uh, real developments around breach reporting. That is all about trust, this sort of transparency and openness about what, especially when things go wrong, um, that is what engenders trust. And organizations want their customers to trust them. So it goes way beyond data protection as to how do you want to be seen by your clients? Your clients are the ones that make you profitable or not. Um, it's a different conversation for public sector. There's a different pressure, of course. But I think this whole drive that, like you say, in the C-suite, recognising that this is what their clients now expect and demand. So I think we need to, in a sense, mature the conversation beyond let's just look at enforcement. Let's just wait for the regulators to, to fine. 
invariably that's post-event and post-event on a data issue is it means there are data harms so let's reverse that and let's say right before we get to that so let's not obsess about how many millions of pounds or dollars worth of fines yes that 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 matters but what matters in even more in my view is how we are actively working to prevent those harms from happening in the first place so this this sort of mild obsession with enforcement. If you look at other areas of our lives where we're required to behave in certain ways, you know, I, I don't not steal from my best friend because I'm frightened of enforcement. I'm, I don't steal from her because I'm a decent human being and I respect her and I don't want to take that from her. So I want organisations to look at data, personal data, and say, I'm going to handle that well, not because I'm frightened of fines, but because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for the people whose data I'm responsible for. And it's the right thing to do for our organization because that's what builds trust and that's what builds confidence and that's what builds a successful economy. Wow, I agree with that. Uh, Let's talk about third party data sharing. So what I'm seeing is, and I think this is gonna be a wake up call for third party. you know, the, the, the GDPR and other uh, privacy re- regimes have always had parts in it about the responsibility of a company that receives first party data and then how they transfer that to a third party. So we know all, almost all companies work with third parties and then figuring out what's not only the best way to do that transfer, but making sure that that transfer is within the realm of the law. The thing that I'm seeing now uh, that is surprising to me, and it's actually a good thing, that um, I'm working with a lot of companies that are, you know, like say they're trying to get funding or they're trying to get, you know, big clients and customers. And, you know, they 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 do the presentations, they do the marketing thing, they you know the negotiate contracts, but we're getting to a point now where you know, they say, okay, everything's fine. We like your company, we like all this stuff, but then now you have to answer all these privacy questions. And so that didn't happen before. So in the past, it was like, yeah, you know, privacy is kind of an afterthought, like, okay, we'll do this thing. And then, you know, maybe later down the line, we'll think about privacy or something like that. But now it's literally becoming a stop stopping point like this. You can't, you know, I've literally had, um, organizations come to me and say, you know, we can't sell our product because we can't answer these questions about privacy. And I think that's great. (laughs) What are your thoughts? Oh, I I totally agree. And it's so interesting to hear you talk about the influences you're seeing in, in in your field. They're not coming from the regulator. They're coming internally. Those pressures are coming from from businesses, from commercial, from public sector themselves because they recognise the importance of getting this right. And and the person asking the question, again, is putting that pressure on. And I think that's what we talk about when we talk about cultural change, that it becomes embedded, it becomes normalised rather than constantly looking over your shoulder and saying, well, what does the regulator think? What does Article this or Section this, the GDPR say? It's no. What is that? What is the business need to do to get this right? So I think I, that that to me, I know I'm a bit of a nerd on this stuff, but that to me is terribly exciting because you move beyond just waving a stick as a regulator saying, if you don't do it right, I'm going to fine you, to a sort of community conversation about really high standards of data governance. 
what do you know a lot of times when people in the press even even though i'm happy that people are talking about uh privacy a lot more in the press you know the bigger companies are getting a lot more of that attention right um especially because of you know regulation and regulators but what are things that maybe small or medium-sized businesses need to really think about that they may be not thinking about so you know i feel like you know let's say, you know, Facebook or Google, you know, they have hundreds of lawyers <laughs> and, you know, not every organization has, has a lawyer or has people in-house that can sort of do this role. And we know that, you know, a lot of these, you know, unlike the U.S., they, you know, in the U.S., our privacy laws are mostly consumer based. So they're not human based. So there are quite a few gaps there as a result. But in places like Europe, where your your privacy laws are more based on kind of a human, and there are very few exceptions, what are things that you think that maybe smaller than medium sized companies need to think about when they're thinking about data protection, as opposed to like, oh, my God, it's like this totally burdensome thing. You know, what, what, what are some, some advice that you would give them as a starting point if they're looking, you know, how can I be better, get more mature in like data protection? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the things I think is quite important for us when we're looking at smaller businesses is, is to not disenfranchise them from the whole conversation that, that all that privacy people and data protection people talk about is big tech. Now, that really matters for us and our future. But every, if you think about the breadth of data protection regulation, it's not just big tech, it's your hairdresser down the road, it's the accountants down the road, and it's, and it's everything in between. So if we constantly talk at one sector, at one group of businesses, one organizations, the rest just feel neglected. So they either think there's nothing I need to worry about, or they disconnect completely and say, well, I'm not going to, even if, although I know I should, I'm not gonna bother. So I think it's really important, um, and, it's, and it's probably easier for a smaller jurisdiction like ourselves to properly engage with everybody else. And that includes the whole plethora of different businesses that are out there. And I think that the, the single most important thing that I've learned over the years is that most people want to do the right thing. Give them a chance, help them understand what the right thing is and help them through it. Because it's, again, if you focus entirely on enforcement, if they're, only, if they're only threatened by enforcement, they will feel defensive and they will feel disengaged. Whereas if you say, listen, think about your relationship with your client. They're human beings. Does it matter to you? Do you want them to trust you? Forget using all the sort of rather difficult language of data protection law sometimes, data subjects. They're human beings. You know, pointing back to your very, this is a very European attitude to it, but it stems from a very uh, human problem. You know, after, the, after World War II, this sense of that human beings were so terribly treated with tragic outcomes in the way that data were handled in that context. So it has historical uh, roots, all of that. But I think that encouraging smaller business to really engage with the value of looking after the personal data and how it can how it can improve their brand, not not just avoid fines. They really people do want to trust organisations, and the organisations that we deal with where, that have made mistakes often just say, "I just didn't think, I just didn't realise." Help me. So we work quite hard in our in our jurisdiction to 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 put out engaging content, not just full of legalese. We work to plain English to try and make the language accessible. 
and I and I'm a great one for ethics, and it's and it's such a broad subject. I mean, people study degrees and masters on it, but uh, if you could uh, distill it, um, I say to people, there's a couple of uh, ethics tests to take yourself through. One, what if everybody did what I'm about to do? What would the world look like? Two, the sort of mom or best friend test. If you told them what you were doing, would they say, oh, that's a great thing to do? Or mm, maybe that's not quite so good. The front page test. If the newspaper or media outlet got hold of what you're doing and published it, would you be happy with it? The stench factor, just really how does it make you feel? You, know, you see how some organisations really do exploit data badly. That really doesn't feel good, does it? Um, and the last one, what if it was me? What if it was my data? or someone I love's data. And that's really salutary. We can really all think about that. And there's often a sense of detachment when we're talking about, especially vast numbers of, of data sets. They're, each one of those is a human being and a, and a number of human beings. And I think we forget that at our peril. So I, I try and encourage smaller organisations not to fret about the, the arguments going on in the big tech space. Be interested, yes. But for you, for those organisations, Look at what data you have, look at what your business objective is and, and understand how much the question of trust and confidence is now linked to how you handle people's information. I love that. I'm going to have to read, listen to that again <laughs> about your ethical test. That's smart. And, you know, it does bring it back to a human level because we are at the end of the day talking about people. It's about humans and you know, what we do and how we uh, live our lives. Um, what is, uh, I, I guess I'm going to switch a little bit and talk a little bit about surveillance. And before I talk about that, I'll, I, I want to get on a point that you were talking about, which is the, the, the genesis of the feeling in Europe about privacy and data protection and how that's part of your constitution um, you know, privacy is a human right in in Europe and in the U.S. Privacy is not a fundamental human right. Um, it more mostly is is codified in our laws as a consumer right. And so, to me, there there are two different things that have happened, and I think this may be some of the the, the friction and difference between Europe and the U.S. And it's like you know, as a result of, you know, World War II and, you know, the atrocities that happened, you know, Europe took the stance that if we collect less data, we make people protect their privacy, we can have better security or better, better ways to handle the rights of individuals. Where in the U.S., I think, just naturally, and then also because of 9-11, we said, okay, we need more data because we want to be secure. So I think that when we talk about, you know, especially things like the privacy shield and things like that, um, you know, we come at it from such a different um, different perspective. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're understanding that we think privacy has an importance, but then how we go about it is very different. So uh, what, what are your thoughts at all about, um, you know, like the, the, the transatlantic, uh, you know, data transfer, you know, we, as we know, the privacy shield was invalidated uh, last year uh, in 2020, and we don't yet have a new 
agreement there. But but what, what, what are your thoughts about the things maybe we in the U.S. and maybe Europe can maybe harmonize on to get to a better place in terms of that transatlantic uh, data sharing? Goodness, that's a, that's a big old topic, isn't it? But I think that I would start by saying we, as in the geographically in Europe, the area um, and the US have much more in common than, 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 than there is that separates us. And I think that you don't have to look too far in this world to see really oppressive governments um, using data of their citizens in the most appalling way. So we start our two geographical areas of the world from a place, I think, of relative openness. Being a democracy uh, is an important foundation for these conversations. So we may start from different historical perspectives, and that's entirely to be expected. If you, if you read the history of Europe, um, in, in the, the end, by the end of the of World War II, and what and what lessons that were wanting to be learnt as they moved towards a union of countries, you just understand the the emotion of that better. And I think it's terribly important that we look back to look forward, so that rather than saying, "Well," and I hear it said a lot, you know, the European. Uh, obsession with privacy and data protection uh, versus the US more consumer. I, I just don't think we should be pitted against. I think there are differences. I think some of them are incredibly nuanced. Some of them are incredibly legal and we'll need working through some of them the courts. But I think fundamentally we start from the same place, which is about a respect for the human. So, yes, of course, these things are complicated. And if you look at, um, especially the wording around GDPR, things like uh, how it identifies special category data, that's all feeding from what happened to certain parts of the population during, during World War II. So you can see that direct link and it just helps you engage a bit better. It's, it's a terribly difficult conversation when you've got slightly different perspectives, but it's, it's too easy to make more of that difference than actually there is. And I think that we see some of these very complex legal uh, challenges playing out. But let's celebrate the fact they're being played out because in some jurisdictions, it's just a given. You just get told what your government is doing. You, and sometimes you don't even get told. It just happens to you. At least we can be part of the conversation. But I think it, it is difficult for organisations who are, as part of their business, wanting data to flow freely across, across the globe. I think that it has made people think much more carefully about where they're exporting their data to and what sort of protections and controls are in place for that data. And I'm not saying it's easy for some of those organisations, but I'm saying we, I think that we are committed across our jurisdictions to finding a solution for businesses to, to be able to, to uh, have the free flow of data for, for the benefit of the economy, but also without compromising on individuals' rights. Wow, I love talking to you about this. You have such a level-headed way of thinking about it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so let, let me switch to surveillance. So uh, you and I did a panel together for the National Liberal Club uh, Defense and Security Circle. And uh, our topic was sur the surveillance state who is watching. And I'm just going to give a shout out to our other Panelists, uh, Daniel Cope, uh, was a global data privacy at HSBC. Um, we had Helen uh, Beveridge, who's uh, the data protection officer at Oversight 
uh, Yasmin Hines, the Global uh, Privacy Lead and Legal Counsel at Pontoon Solutions, and me. Uh, so this was a great session, and I think it's online. So people can like look at it, and I may put a link in the, the, the transcript for this particular session. But it was really great because surveillance is, is definitely what's happening now and it's what's happening next. And it's something that, you know, it, it, it's sort of, it, you know, for me, it's like, okay, we, we see all these new regulations that are coming out and will continue to come out in different jurisdictions. And then on the other side, we have all this technology that's really speeding ahead so fast. And, you know, so much of the technology that's being developed, you know, will result in surveillance, whether it's intentional or not, because there's just so much more data that is going to be collected as a result of kind of technology. And so, you know, I would love to know, you know, your thoughts on kind of where, where we're going or where we need to go or what we need to be thinking about in the future as it relates to, you know, you know, surveillance, whether it be how companies, you know, to me is more about how companies implement tools that they're using and making sure they respect the, the privacy of individuals, because there are obviously companies that are going to make money from selling, you know, these, uh, these uh, technologies, but it really is incumbent upon the user to be able to figure out, navigate what's the best use of it, especially in different jurisdictions. And I feel like that's the, a place where companies struggle. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think a point I would like to, to make, which I feel quite strongly about is that we need to be honest about the fact that technology moves faster than regulation and law can can deal with so if you're always looking to regulators and law enforcement to deal with some of these challenges it's going to be too late and surely we are more intelligent as a human race to let it get to that stage we need to have these conversations we need to build in human values human conversations around all surveillance especially ai um, but the question is who is surveying why are they surveying? How are they surveying? But the, the, the terrible truth really is that each and every one of us is carrying around the most extraordinary surveillance device without giving it a second thought. And I think that one of the things that those of us in, in this community are uh, working hard to do is just raising awareness. If you understand the sort of day-to-day -day surveillance that is actively going on, and it's quite one thing if you talk about government surveillance. So if you you know talk about our different governments maybe uh, implementing surveillance for national security purposes or border control, who is surveying us from our phone? Who is collecting the data on my phone and my tablet? Where is it going? What are they doing with it? How? Where is the transparency and accountability? Because if you've got if you're in democracy, at least in theory there is an accountability mechanism through the ballot box. But if it's some anonymous tech organisation that is, is geographically remote from you? And how do you get into that if you've got a problem? So I think it's a much broader conversation. The technology is there. It doesn't mean to say we should always use it. And the danger is we, we see these nice, shiny new tech items and think, yes, we'll have a bit of that. Let's worry about the data issues later. That never, ever works. You, you see in GDPR standards, this need to build in privacy by design from day one. And that is not just about making, allowing the technologists to, you know, doing phenomenal stuff, 
but they can't just be technologists in the room. There have to be lawyers, technologists, ethicists, uh, social scientists. We all need to be part of the conversation because it's not just what technology can do. It's what it should do, what we want it to do. We need to take back control and ask ourselves, what do we want and how do we want to achieve that? And the danger is these, these decisions are taken out of our hands and we just gallop away simply because the technology is able to and then to pick up the pieces later on is incredibly difficult, if not impossible. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, you know what? I'm seeing a lot of cases in the news, uh, you know, happening with regulators and this happens a lot. So let's say, let's say an organization, let's say they have a security. Uh, well, I give a good, good example, a real example. So um, I live in Illinois, uh, in Chicago, and there was a bakery in Chicago many years ago that implemented a uh, fingerprint scanner for people to clock in and clock out at work. And so I'm sure what happened is they saw it somewhere advertised and they thought, oh, this would be so cool that we do this or whatever. And what I think that company didn't realize is that there is this very strict law in Illinois called the Biometric Information Privacy Act. And they were supposed to let the people know before they collected data, like what they were going to do with the data and how long they intended to retain it. So because they didn't do that, an employee filed a case against them and, and the employee won this case. And then the, 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 the redress was this, with this was quite high because the way that the, the court in Illinois interpreted the data capture how they quantified it was, you know, this company was in violation every time that they collected the fingerprint of this person. So that could add up, right? You know, so let's say someone punches in and out like four times a day or something for over many years. So, you know, it was a pretty significant fine for this company. But, you know, what I'm seeing in the news a lot of times is, you know, companies, let's say they implement this cool software or this technology and then, you know, it does something or collects something that maybe they shouldn't have collected. And then if a regular gets involved, they may say, okay, I want you to delete this data that you're retaining, first of all, and then stop doing this process. And some of it is maybe there's, you know, either there's a, a notice or consent that you have to get from a person, or it may be a situation where there may be a, a part of the technology that you're using that you just don't use, that you turn off you know, in a, in a jurisdiction, you know, so that to me is, you know, it's putting the ball in the court of the user of the technology or the implementer of the technology. And I think people need to really think through, you know, it, if, if you have something that does 10 things, you know, are those 10 things even legal in your jurisdiction? Or can you turn those, those certain features off or find a way to kind of mitigate that risk? Yeah, well, that, that's, that's such an interesting, and I love stories. I think making it real is so important, but I'm pretty sure that if you'd spoken to that bakery six months ago, a year ago before, and said, right, do you want to set up a, a system that's essentially illegal, essentially immoral, essentially oppressive for your workers, they would have probably said, no, thanks. So the question again for us is how do we get that front loaded? How do we get those questions to be asked 
by those organizations at the beginning of the process rather than after when they've got a multi-million dollar, whatever it is, to their name. And that's the big challenge for all of us who care about this, not just regulators. But I'm pretty sure, going back to my earlier comment, that most organizations, whether it's a bakery or whether it's a hairdresser or whether it's a coffee shop or a bank, want to get this right, either because they respect the values that it represents or they just want to avoid fines. You know, the, the motivation is, is different across the board, isn't it? But I'm sure most of them do want to get this right. So the question for us has got to be, how do we help them do that rather than just shroud waving when things go wrong? Right, right. I don't know. I think I, I don't even know how to, how to talk about this gap, really, I guess. The thing is, like, so the example is, you know, a company sold this technology to someone and then it's kind of, it becomes a problem of the company that implements <laughs> uh, the, the, the technology. But I feel like there's such a gap in the middle there in education even. So I think some people think, okay, because, because it's sold somewhere, it must be okay. <laughs> and they don't understand their responsibility. So they may say, well, you know, I bought it from Amazon. It must be great. You know, it must be, you know, is out there. Let me implement it. And I'm not really thinking about, you know, um, the harm to the individual because, you know, it's, I think it's someone else's responsibility. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, and it goes back to the sense that because the technology is there doesn't mean to say we should engage with it and we need to change our mindset around that. Um, but no, I, I think you're right that there is a huge gap and it vexes us. And I think that it, like anything in life, if you're faced with a challenge or a problem, you can just despair about it and then sit in the corner and do nothing. Or you can say, listen, I can't fix the world in my little sphere of influence, I'm going to try and fix this area. And certainly for us in a smaller jurisdiction, and I totally understand that this is probably easier in a smaller jurisdiction because we have proximity to our regulated community. We can access them more easily. But the question still applies, how do you engage? I mean, I can guarantee outside of the, the very lovely privacy and data protection community, if you say to people what you do for a living, there's a little bit of rolling eyes to heaven, isn't there? It's like, oh, that sounds really fascinating, not. And when my kids say to me, what do you do for a living? It's like, well, only now it's becoming interesting now that you're seeing some movies about it. But in the past, it was like, really, can't you do something exciting with your life? Really have <laughs> internet. You know, if you think about how data affects every single one of us, every single second of the day, why aren't we more interested? That's a question we have to find an answer to and we have to get a solution to. And it's not to be patronising, but it's to say in real terms, how do we get people to care, to care whether they sign up to the new uh, whatever uh, messaging system they use, the new terms, conditions, if they're not happy? There are alternatives, a sense of empowerment, a sense of engagement, a sense of caring is what we need to work to, I think. And it's it's happening, Debbie, but it's just not happening as fast as we would like. But it is happening. So I think the thing is to take those when it does happen, celebrate them and, and really celebrate them and celebrate the brilliant people that are in this community. But recognize that we've got a long, long road still ahead of us. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh... What what if what 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 would be your your thought? Let's say we have a company, uh, an executive at a company that's listening to this, regardless of you know, like say it's the barber shop down the street or the accountant. Um, let's say they haven't done anything really on data protection. Like where where would you recommend that they start? 
every year in this office here, um, somebody comes around and makes a note of the equipment, the things of value. And that's for insurance purposes. It's a, you know, an inventory of, of, of possessions. You take the data away from any organization, it will not be able to function. It's the most valuable non-consumable asset an organization will own. We need to start recording it, looking at it, treating it in that way. If you suddenly, as a business, suddenly start to really think about the value of the data, it's like a gold bar. If you're if you're in a have a bank, you're not going to put the gold bars out on the street for someone else to look after. You're going to put them in a safe and look after them. So the same principle with data, it needs to be looked after. So the very first question is, what data do you have? On what basis do you have it? How open are you with the way in which you collect it? So starting to look at it through the lens of value and importantly, not just economic value. I think the economic question is terribly important. It's, it's, it's the... I've heard it described as the fuel for the economy. It's more complicated than that, but you get the point. But it's also, you know, importantly, about each of us as human beings. So it's not just an economic conversation. We're not just commodities to be profited from. We're individuals with lives, with hopes, with fears, with expectations, with rights, and they need to be respected too. So every the, the huge irony of all of this is that everybody wins if we get it right you know there are people uh, profiting from exploitation but at, at the expense of a lot of other people if businesses build their business models on treating people well everybody can benefit from that and I think that's the sort of state of utopia that we uh, I would look to towards and I hope we get to one day you never know <laughs> yeah uh yeah, I, I agree with that. I always tell people, you know, I try to make privacy a business advantage. So instead of thinking of, of it, some people think of it as, oh, this is a tax. This is kind of an extra burden that I have. And it's like, you know, I feel like companies in the future, if you can't show that you can respect the privacy of other people, you're not going to be in business. Because if the if the barber down the street, if, you know, you have to choose between the two, and one cares about data protection and the other doesn't, you know, you're, you know, a lot of customers will go to that other barber. So to me, it's, it can be a business differentiator for organizations. I totally, totally agree. And I really do want to shout this in the rooftops because it is, and I've said these words before, and, and they're simple words, but they're powerful, is trust and confidence. And if, a, if an individual has trust and confidence in a brand, they are more likely to deal with them. And what erodes trust and confidence very, very quickly is misuse. And when we say misuse of people's data, it's misuse of people because we are our data. We are increasingly our data. So what happens to our data happens to us in real time, in the real world. It's not just a database or an Excel spreadsheet. It has consequences. So I think those companies, you can start to see it. You start to see advertising around the fact that we respect your privacy. Your privacy matters to us. Now, some of those ring true, some of those less so. But again, it's a move towards a narrative whereby that's a commercial advantage. Now, whether they're, they're moving that way because they think it's the right thing to do in their ethical organization or whether they're just responding to a client customer pressure, I don't really care because they're still going down. I'd like them to be engaging on an ethical level and great if they are. But if they're just responding to their client need, their customer need, 
then super because we are influencing the client and customer narrative themselves and what they're expecting, what they're demanding of the companies that they they interact with. And that's pressure that will have real consequences and real impacts. Excellent. So if it was the world according to Emma and we did everything that you said, what would be your wish for privacy or data protection uh, anywhere in the world, whether it's technology, people, regulation? What are your thoughts? When we step on a plane, we don't bulk at all the health and safety and the the guys checking the engines and the money it's cost us to pay for well-trained pilots and all the rest of the things that go around making that plane safe. I'd like us to move to a world where we don't bulk at the legislative framework that sits around it. We don't bulk at the, it can be an additional cost to make sure data governance is in place. We don't bulk at all the things the law gives us. We, we celebrate it and we are grateful for it um, because it makes our lives better. And I heard privacy described as a little like oxygen. It's, you don't really realise it's there until it starts being taken away. And I think we're so privileged in our democracies to be talking about this and to have a framework. We have slightly different frameworks, you and I, Debbie, in our lives around data, but nonetheless, we have a voice and these discussions are being had and privacy and data protection is being taken seriously. And there are many, many people across the world that don't have that luxury. So my, my vision would be, this is so wrapped up in human dignity um, and equality and fairness that every citizen has the right that so many of us take for granted and so many of us roll our eyes to heaven when we talk about. But actually, when you think about it, it is the foundation stone for us living free and fulfilled lives. Wow, that's a really great answer. Oh, wow. Well, that's something to think about for sure. Well, you left me with a lot of things to think about. I'm going to have to noodle on some of this stuff, Emma. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, this was great. I'm, I love to hear your perspective and you're just such, um, you know, you can explain these things in ways that I feel like any organization or any business can understand. And that's, that's really important because, you know, as you said, and as I say too, you know, this is about, this is a, a human problem, right? It's something that, that anyone needs to anyone and everyone needs to understand because we all have kind of a stake in the future we sure do excellent excellent well i will i'd be excited uh, for us to do some other collaborations together and i'll talk to you soon lovely thank you so much for the opportunity debbie really really good to speak to you thank you